One of the most challenging aspects of the Christian life is remembering that God is in charge. This is His world. All things go His way. God calls us then to, to welcome His providence, no matter how hard or happy it may be. He calls us to rejoice in His power, to, to join in the proclamation of His Son, and to meet the needs of His people. This is what we have the privilege of thinking about together this morning from Acts chapter 11. Here in this chapter, we are reminded that God is in charge, that Jesus is Lord of all. And Jesus' Lordship, it, it can surprise us with respect to who He saves. It, it can surprise us and, and challenge us where He chooses to work. And how God works can surprise us in how He seeks to bring His people good. Acts 11 reminds us that God is in charge. And this is sometimes a challenge to our souls. We're going to see believers in Jesus having difficulty accepting how God is is working in some ways. And and yet, ultimately, I think the fact that God is in charge, it it really, in the end, brings us comfort. It brings us consolation. And it gives us confidence in His goodness and love. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage beginning on page 919. And while you're turning there, we we should remember the aim and the agenda of Acts. Anytime you're dropping into a study of of a book of the Bible, you you need to think through what's the the aim of that book or that particular letter. And, And how does the passage that we're looking at fit into that overall aim and the agenda of that letter or that book? Well, the the aim and the agenda of Acts was announced very early on. Uh, The aim of Acts is to chronicle the ongoing ministry of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ through His disciples, by the power of His Holy Spirit. And and the agenda of the book, the, the goal or the trajectory which the book means to take, is seeing the gospel advance from Jerusalem and Judea, that near surrounding area, onto Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We've been seeing this as we've been studying the book of Acts together. We've seen the gospel advance in Jerusalem and Judea, go out to Samaria. And then, last week, as we thought about Peter's preaching to Cornelius and his household, we're starting to see that the gospel really is going to go to the ends of the earth, as God has started to save Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are those people in the Bible, are, they're not Jews, or anybody really who, who's not a Jew. And what we're seeing is that God is at work saving Gentiles. And here, then in Acts chapter 11, we're seeing that Jesus' lordship over all peoples, over Jews and Gentiles, over people from every tongue and tribe and nation, it continues to have a a reverberation effect throughout uh, Acts chapter 11. So so we're going to see that that God really is saving his people, and in fact, Gentiles are a part of his people. Peter's going to preach and help the church in Jerusalem understand that. We're going to see that God, He's going to spread His word among the Gentiles. As Barnabas goes and visits a church in Antioch and sees wonderful things taking place there, reinforcing what's going on there. And then we're going to see the Gentile church support and encourage and help Jewish Christians who are struggling with a famine. In all of this, we see three things in the book of Acts. And these three things are going to be the outline of the rest of the sermon. In Acts chapter 11, we see that God saves His people. And then we see that God spreads His Word. And then finally we see that God secures the unity of His church. God is active throughout this whole chapter. God saves His people, He spreads His Word, and He secures the unity of His people. This is what we have the privilege of thinking about together in Acts chapter 11. Let's begin 
with this truth that God saves his people. And as I read Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, I, I want you to try to notice God's activity, how Peter articulates how God is working. All right, Acts chapter 11, beginning there in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and was all drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved." you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we actually covered this, right? That We covered Peter's experience of this, and Cornelius is sending uh, men to, to go and collect Peter, and Peter coming to his house and preaching at his house there in Joppa. So, so why are we getting this story again? I don't know if you know it, but we'll actually get this story yet again in the book of Acts, I believe. Uh, so three times this, this story really appears. What's its placement, its purpose here? Well, I think its placement, its purpose here is to really help the church in Jerusalem understand that God saves His people and that Gentiles are a part of God's people. But as you traverse through these verses, you see there's, there's some conflict and some criticism early on, isn't there? There's this party there in the church of Jerusalem who is, is called the, the circumcision party. And this party seems to be especially concerned with the, the Old Testament Levitical laws. Uh, we thought about them last week. We, we understood they were the, part of the holiness code. And in the holiness code, God's people were to, uh, to refrain from participating in or partaking of, of meat that was considered unclean, animals that were unclean. So there were things in this code that were both clean and unclean, uh, lots of things to eat with respect to, but there were other matters as well. And, and we remembered that this clean and unclean dichotomy going on in the law was meant not only to help distinguish the people of Israel from the other nations around them, 
So by virtue of what they ate, that meant that they, they couldn't eat with Gentile nations or Gentiles. So it would be different from the Gentiles. So, so there, was, there was that going on to visibly, publicly distinguish the people of God from other nations. But there was also a spiritual lesson in the law. The fact that there are things that are clean and unclean. And the fact that you as an Israelite could become unclean and need to be made clean should have taught the people of Israel a spiritual lesson. That they were unclean before the perfectly pure and holy God. They needed to be taught that. They needed to understand that. And in the light of the New Testament, we learn and discern that it's through Jesus' blood that we can be made clean. Through the purification that He offered through His blood and His sacrifice of sins. That's what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. Well, this circumcision party, they're concerned that Peter has not been keeping uh, those traditions, those laws. And so they, they, they criticize him, we see here. And, and Peter, interestingly enough, Peter initially had the same objection, didn't he? If you're reading through his vision there, you'll notice that Peter said, no, 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 Lord, I, I haven't eaten anything common and I'm not uh, going to eat anything unclean. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remain pure. I'm going to abide by your regulation. Well, these, these guys, they have the same objection that Peter has. But the point that Peter is making in the midst of this is actually God has broken down that barrier. And, and you notice that that means that Peter can eat with them. That, that's what he's criticized for. Did you, did you notice that? You see in these verses, they, they criticize him saying there in verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They, they didn't criticize him for baptizing them. For, for bringing them to the, the visible unity of Christ's church. They criticized him for eating with them. Because eating actually shows fellowship and unity visibly and demonstrably. Well, Peter, he, he gives this explanation. And, and I hope that you noticed all along the way, he's pointing out, this is God's work. This is God's doing. I was praying, right? I, I was talking to the Lord. And then he started talking back to me. And he gave me this vision. This is what God is imposing upon me. There's nothing really I, I could do about it. He, he told me that he's broken down this barrier. So I, I was praying, and God was impressing this upon me, and I was objecting. Guys, I was objecting, not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, that's a bad look for Peter. It's a bad look to talk back to God. We, we want to listen to him when he is talking. But that's what he did. He was objecting just like they were. And God was making it plain over and over and over again. No, no, no. No, what I've, I've made this clean. I've made them clean. So go with them. And not only is Peter praying, he's receiving this vision from the Lord. But then, then the Spirit gets involved and sends these men through, it, through an angel. Right? God is at work. He's sending an angel at, at every place. So this is happening from my side, Peter is saying. But then on Cornelius' side, God is working too. And they're, they're sending men to get me. And they're compelling me to come with them. And, and the Spirit then says to me, go with them and make no distinction. Right? Make no distinction between you and who you are and a Jew and who they are as a Gentile. I wonder if this, this statement by the Holy Spirit can help us think through some of, of the challenges, the, the ethnic challenges, the, the, the racial tensions and challenges that we're experiencing Maybe by, by keying in on our distinctions and differences, we're not emphasizing what the Lord is calling us to do, which is to be one in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is fundamentally true about us is that we're all a part of Adam's race, and we need to be part of Christ's race. We're all in Adam and going to die, and we need to be put into Christ, and so be made one in Him. 
That's how God cultivates unity among his people in his son. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's make sure to emphasize what we have in common, the spirit of God and Christ and fellowship and adoption in his kindness and love. So Peter's told to go with these brothers and these men and not make any distinction among them. To, to go with them just, just, just like you're, you're, you're one with them. They're not unclean. And so Peter says, look, this happened from my side. This happened from Cornelius' side. God is working all of this. And not only that, these six men came with me. Did you notice that Peter calls out these guys, kind of says, hey, these guys are, are with me. And I don't know if you know about it. These six men are, are witnesses. You know how many witnesses you need in the Old Testament to verify a claim? You need three. So we've got twice as many witnesses that are necessary to verify and validate a claim. And Peter's saying, God is showing through these witnesses as well, testifying to the truth that he's been at work in all of this, that this is God's doing. He's, he's bringing us together, guys. That, that's, that's what he, he says there. And then what he's saying is, look, all of this is happening behind the scenes. Right? I'm, I'm praying privately with this vision. The Spirit uh, speaks to me. I need to go with these men. The angel sends these guys. All this is happening behind the scenes. And then God went public. That's what happened. God went public. You see, when I started preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. And God made His plans public. He made His plans to bring the Gentiles into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ public. And, and don't, you, don't you love Peter's... Conclusion. Well, before we get there, notice that Peter points out Jesus' words. You see that uh, in, in, uh, in verse 16? He hearkens back to actually what we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, where Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, initially on the book of Acts, what we're thinking about, okay, that's, that's related to the event of Pentecost. But what Peter is saying by announcing, hey, I remembered the Lord Jesus' words. What he's saying is, God actually meant for there to be a Pentecost among the Gentiles as well. God meant to make his spirit known among them too. So that they had the same spirit experience that we had too. And that means if, if we have the same spirit, we have the same Lord. That's what Peter's communicating by quoting Jesus. And then, and then there's verse uh, 17. So appreciate. If God then gave them the same spirit, same gift that he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Right? Who are you, Peter? Well, you're one of the leaders of the early church. I mean, the early church looks to you in, in many respects in these early chapters in the book of Acts of, okay, what, what direction are we as a church going to go? And Peter's saying, I, I can't stand in the Lord's way. I, I've got to get out of God's way. And the implication then for this church in Jerusalem is what? They need to get out of God's way too, right? This is what God is doing. And, and you get their uh, somewhat comical response. They, they heard these things, they fall silent. And then beyond silence, right? They glorify God saying to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Who, who are we to stand in God's way when he's at work? God is saving His people. The Gentiles are part of His people. As we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, we are one body in Christ. Now this church in Jerusalem is trying to process this. this is, it, it, it's shocking that Gentiles are being received into the kingdom, to the, to the Jewish Messiah. 
They're being welcomed to come to him in faith. But really, it shouldn't have been shocking or hard for them to process because the, the Old Testament, right, Isaiah chapter 56, which we read earlier in the service, we see that foreigners are going to be received into the Messianic kingdom. That They should have known that this was going to happen. And yet, this was still difficult for them to process. Some things in, in the moment, right, are, are difficult for us. New things, new experiences, change can be hard. Well, that's, that's what's happening here. But, but think about it. For yourself for a minute. Put your sh- yourself in the shoes of the Jerusalem church. Who in your mind would be far off from Jesus? That you would have difficulty imagining who would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in kind of mass numbers. Uh, maybe the, the, the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, what about the, the human rights campaign leadership? What about LGBTQ or abortion activists? But what, what kind of group of people would you have difficulty thinking... God would welcome them into his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, no one is too far off. And we can't call anyone unclean. And we can't refuse to go to someone. We can't can't be like Jonah. Disobedient to the Lord and refusing to go to a people who need to hear of the Lord's salvation. No, if God, Christian, if God can save you, he can save them too. And and that's, that's part of what this passage encourages him. People who seem far off can be brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So be bold. Be joyfully sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cause your objections to cease. Fall fall silent like this church did. And glorify God that He has the power to save, that He's mighty to save. And pray that God would be pleased to grant repentance. Did you notice that here? They, they confirm, this is the church's kind of confirmation. They confirm that God has granted repentance that leads to life. Note, note that this is a gift of God. That repentance, which is to say turning from sin, turning from ruling and running and really ruining our lives, turning away from sin and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what repentance is. And those two things go hand in hand. Repentance and faith. When we turn away from sin, we don't uh, turn into an open void and nothingness. No, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ believing that He has the power to save. Repentance and faith, as our church's statement of faith says, are sacred duties and inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God. What Peter is saying, what the church is saying, is the Spirit has worked in their hearts. And they are a part of God's people. God is indeed saving His people. Repentance is submitting to Jesus as Lord. Repentance is turning to Jesus for eternal life. God is at work saving His people. That's the the point of Peter's testimony here. He, He needs to communicate to this church who is concerned and critical of him going to the Gentiles. No, no, that God is saving his people. But not only that, God is saving the Gentiles. He's also sending people to speak his word to them and expanding this witness to the Gentiles. See, what we're seeing here is this explosion of a Gentile mission. This is going to be taking off and running throughout the book of Acts. More people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not from Jewish backgrounds, but from Gentile backgrounds as well. And so what we see in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26, is that God spreads His Word. I want you to try and find that idea as I read these verses to you. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. See if you can spot the idea 
that God is spreading His word. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here we see God spreading His word. You especially see it in that phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. Those who are speaking, preaching the good news about Jesus. But before we get there, we, we get this note from Luke there in verse 19. Uh, that Those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they, they travel. The, the gospel is sent out. So Luke is he's giving us a flashback, as it were. He's going back to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And he's reminding us that, that Stephen, he was martyred for speaking the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then a great persecution arose that day in the church, and people were sent out. But back there, in, Luke, in, sorry, in Acts chapter 8, one of the things that Luke says is the gospel spread. Luke is saying that persecution actually enables and encourages and furthers preaching. No amount of pressure and persecution is going to stop the preaching of the gospel. Well, friends, brothers and sisters, I wonder if, if some of you feel some pressure as a Christian. Could it be that God wants you to, in the midst of that pressure, proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe God is using that pressure to push things out. Right? And to send his gospel out, maybe in the various circumstances you're facing, God means to use that pressure in your life for you to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he would be pleased to use it to spread his word like he does here. Sometimes pressure produces and furthers proclamation. Notice that at first, uh, some saints were limiting their speaking the words to no one except Jews. And then Luke gives us that contrast. But there's this, this group of people who are actually speaking beyond the Jews to Hellenists. Now, here I'm going to be honest, our, our, the translation of the ESV is not that helpful. Typically, when we think of Hellenists, we're thinking of a, a group of, of Jewish believers who are kind of Greek-speaking, but that's not who the, the text has in mind. You, you probably even got a, a footnote down there that says something like, or Greeks. That's who's really in view, Greeks, Gentiles. So there's this group of believers who are spreading um, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, spreading the word to Greeks, to Gentiles. That's what's taking place here. And we're seeing, we're seeing that their preaching was focused on the Lord Jesus. Do you see that there? Luke could have just said it, he focused on Jesus. But interestingly enough, he points out that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. I think sometimes in our proclamation, in our gospel sharing, we need to emphasize Jesus' lordship, his claim to rule over our lives. He is our savior, 
And He is our Lord. That means He has authority to rule over our lives as well. He commands people to come to Him, to turn from their sins, and to believe in Him. Friend, if you're, you're here this morning, you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to urge you and encourage you to submit to His Lordship. To believe that He lived the perfectly holy and righteous life that you have not lived. That He died a death on the cross that made atonement for your sins. Because He was sinless and righteous, He could offer a sacrifice to satisfy God's divine justice against your sin. So He died on the cross bearing God's wrath against your sin. But not only that, three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating and proving to us that He really is the Lord of life and death. Lord of life, Lord of life, and Lord over death. He has that conquering power. And He commands and calls all men everywhere to repent. So friend, if you have not repented, if you have not turned away from your sins and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, obey His call. Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says... The kingdom of God is at hand. It's come. Repent and believe the good news. Those are commands from Jesus. So friend, repent of your sins. Turn away from them. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hear this gospel call that Jesus is your Lord and He's also your Savior. So come to Him as your Savior and as your Lord. And notice that God is pleased to bless the preaching of Jesus' Lordship. Not only did these men preach that Jesus was Lord, but the hand of the Lord was with them. Brothers and sisters, pray this for our church. Pray that week in and week out, that this pulpit, that I, that other brothers who step into this pulpit will proclaim Jesus' Lordship, that He's King of all, that He is the Sovereign Lord, and that we can trust Him and serve Him and follow Him with confidence and joy and love. Pray that for our church, that we be faithful to proclaim and announce Jesus' Lordship. And the Lord blesses this. His hand is with Him, which means God is working. God is spreading His Word and He is bringing about He's bringing about this, this believing and this turning. Do you see it there again? Repentance and faith coming side by side, hand in hand. There was a great number who believed and turned to the Lord. And then what happens? Well, this report comes to I love how this is described, the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They're, they're listening for God's activity. May that mark us. We should be a church who is listening for, interested in God's activity. So brothers and sisters, when you get those, those emails from maybe supported workers or missionaries, read them closely and carefully. Hear what God is doing. Pray about those matters. You know, we as, as elders are interested in the work that our supported workers are doing. So we regularly ask for, for updates from them. So just a couple of weeks ago, I asked, uh, I asked one, one brother, one of our supported workers, hey, could you send me what like your week-to-week looks like? Those things that you're focused on and, and working in in the midst of? What's your, what's your plan and kind of strategy to evangelize uh, the people that you're working among? We want to be interested in those kinds of things. And it's good and right. And notice that this, this attitude of, of the church in Jerusalem, I think, is, is in the midst of a shift, isn't it? Um, they, they hear that this is happening, and then they send Barnabas. They don't send a guy who's super critical. They send a guy who's certainly careful. They send a guy who's encouraging. Barnabas' name, you know, means son of encouragement. He wants to encourage good work where he can. He, he, he encouraged Saul as he was coming to faith and beginning to follow Jesus and preach 
the gospel. They send Barnabas. They seem to maybe want to be encouraging this work. And, and notice what we, we read about Barnabas when he gets there. He, he came, he saw, he rejoiced, didn't he? He was, he was glad. Well, brothers and sisters, are we, when we see and hear about the work that God is doing around the world or in our area, do we rejoice at what he's doing? So we hear of other churches prospering. Are we sad or are we glad? Or are you rejoicing that God is at work there and praying that he would continue and further that blessing? Or we ought to be glad what God is doing. That yes, we want to be jealous for the Lord and see people converted and grow here. And we want to be glad when we see other ministries flourishing and expanding and proclaiming the, the, the good news of the reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Barnabas, he, he's glad. Notice too that he exhorts them. He exhorts them. Um, telling people what to do in our day and age is kind of looked down upon, isn't it? But that's exactly what Barnabas does. He gets there and he tells them what to do. That's what he's doing in the midst of his exhortation. He's telling them to remain faithful to Jesus Christ with steadfast purpose. This, this ought to tell us something about our own faith too, right? We don't grow by accident. We, we grow with purposeful pursuit. So this encouragement and this exhortation from Barnabas, we should take to heart too. It's really what the, 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 the whole book of, the whole letter of Hebrews is about. It's an exhortation to hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I, I want to exhort you to hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ and to do that through the means that He's placed in our hands, the, the means of His Word. So be purposeful about your pursuit and remaining faithful to the Lord by, by reading His Word, reading it daily and enjoying what God says to you and His love there. Be, be purposeful in speaking God's Word back to God in, in prayer. So pray to Him. Talk to God. He's, he's invited us to do that and He shapes us and grows us through that. Be purposeful in your fellowship with other believers. Uh, talk about spiritual things with them. So, so after the service today, uh, don't just talk about how the University of Maryland won or how the University of Arkansas won. No, no. Talk about the things of the Lord. Those are great things. We all rejoice in those things. But what we're really rejoicing in is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to have spiritual, purposeful conversation with one another. We've got to be deliberate about that. So brothers and sisters, hold on to Christ through these means that God has given us through His Word and through prayer. And notice, notice Barnabas' character. You see, he's a good man. You want that on your tombstone? He was a good man. He was full of faith. Reminds us of Stephen, right? Boldly preaching in the face of these men who are going to pick up stones and throw him. Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit and faith like Stephen. His character, this notation of his character, it especially serves to confirm that God's grace really was reaching the Gentiles. He's seeing it. It's truly happening. He's a reliable witness to what God is doing. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to aspire to have character like Barnabas, perhaps especially to the men in this congregation. Brothers, aspire to have a good and godly character. That's what I think of that phrase, good man, means. Godly, righteous, honorable, full of integrity and truth. Aspire to have a character like Barnabas. Aspire to be full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Brothers, be, be committed to exhorting one another, encouraging one another in the word. Uh, moms, pray for your, your sons to, to be uh, men who are like Barnabas, encouraging, who are full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and good men filled with integrity. 
who picture and portray the Lord Jesus Christ because they, they love Him and want to serve Him. May, may the Lord be pleased to, to continue to grow and build all of our characters in these ways. Many are being added to the Lord, and I trust that they're, they're seeing something in Barnabas and wanting to imitate that as well. But notice, the hand of the Lord is there. Barnabas turns up, and he sees this great work of God. Many are being added, but for the spread of God's word and God's grace to continue, well, it's going to require some things. It's going to require four things. It's going to require help, so Barnabas gets Saul. It's going to require time. It takes a whole year, time and teaching. It requires teaching as well. It takes a whole year to teach and to train. And it requires distinction. It requires distinction. Notice that it requires help, so Barnabas gets Saul. Saul was that great persecutor of God's people, and he was transformed by the risen Lord Jesus and made a preacher to God's people and a preacher of Jesus Christ. Well, Barnabas goes and he gets Saul. Uh, we, we need help in the work of, of teaching and taking this time to develop and grow disciples. I'm grateful to God that it seems like the Lord is adding our brother William to the number of teachers here in our church family. I'm praying and grateful for the, the work that God is doing in the lives of a number of men in our congregation. He seems to be perhaps raising up. Maybe in the, the, the days, months, years ahead, they too will serve in teachers in God's church. This is required. We, we, we need help to continue to shape and make disciples. And I, it's interesting, isn't it? It requires time. Luke specifically mentions they were there for a, a whole year. Right? Our membership course is five weeks, but uh, Barnabas and Saul had a whole year discipleship program, didn't they? And it requires teaching over and over and over again. We, we can't think that a disciple is made and made whole in a single sermon event. We, we can't think that a disciple is made and made whole just by attending one Bible study or, or by, by attending one Sunday evening service or, or, or attending one small group gathering. No, making disciples who obey all that Jesus commands. I mean, this is a lot, right? Who obey all that Jesus commands it's going to take time. It's going to take teaching over and over and over again. We, we shouldn't be impatient. We want everything in our society. We want to be efficient. We want to run through this, this kind of program that happens, and we, we get it two days later. No, that's not how it happens in the Christian life. It's not how it happens when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It takes time. So when, when we want to read books with you and try to build out an area of your Christian life, don't be discouraged by that. Give thanks to God that, that brothers and sisters are investing in your life and wanting to see you grow and observe all that Jesus commands. Give, give thanks to God that there's such an interest in your life in that way. In wanting to see you made a, a whole disciple of Jesus Christ. Who's, who's well balanced and trusting and following him. So this spreading of God's grace we see it requires help. It requires time. It requires teaching. And it requires distinction. When you make a whole disciple, uh, a, a whole integrated disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to stand out. I was talking with one believer earlier in this week, and they were talking about um, when they were, were on their path of kind of growing in grace and wanting to fully trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They had this friend that they had in mind. They, they knew, like, that person is a believer. And then they went to this new place, and they were thinking, I really want to have faith like my friend, that, that place that I just left. And then she met different believers, and they like, oh, you, you've got the same faith that my friend has. I think the faith of a true believer stands out and distinguishes itself from the world. And that's what seems to be happening here. You see verse 26, and when they had found, so Saul comes, they come to Antioch, and for a whole year they met there, they taught a great many people, then the end there. 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They're, they're distinguished, right? Um, and they're, they're given this name not by the Jews in Antioch, but probably by the, the Greeks and the unbelievers there. They're, they're seeing that, wait a minute, this church thing, this is different than just a kind of a sect of Judaism. Because they're, they're bringing people together and they're living distinctive lives. And, and in fact, that term Christians was initially probably a derogatory term. Uh, it means literally like little Christ or uh, the Christ ones. So they, they probably be talking about town going, oh, there goes one of them, uh, them Christ ones, you know. There goes one of those, those little Christs. Probably in a derogatory, dismissive sense. But brothers and sisters, what a glory it is to be known by the name of Jesus Christ. To have a life that's so distinct and distinguished that people would say, you're one of them Christians, aren't you? And that's a question for us then, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, are we known as Christians? Are we distinct and distinguished as Christians? Do, do people in your workplace know you as a Christian? Do, do they know that you are a, a Bible-believing, Bible-obeying, Bible-enjoying Christian? Do your neighbors know that? Do, do they know that when you invite them over to your house, that, yep, you're going to open your Bible, and you're going to read, and you're going to pray for them? Do, do people around you know that you're a Christian. If they don't, there, there may be some need for some conviction there, brothers and sisters. We're meant to be known in the world as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ has called you by name. So don't be ashamed to be called by His name. It's a glorious name. It's a name in which salvation is heralded. It's good to be known as a Christian. It's God-honoring to be known as a Christian, I, I would encourage you uh, to, to, to be what, what J.C. Ryle says. He writes, be an epistle. That's a letter. Be an epistle of Christ so clearly written, penned in such large, bold characters that he who runs may read it. Let your Christianity be so unmistakable, your eyes so single, your heart so whole, your walk so straightforward that all who see you may have no doubt whose you are and whom you serve. Brothers and sisters, these disciples, they were known as Christians in Antioch. May we be known as Christians in Arlington. Christ has called us by name. Let's make his name known. Tell other people. Just go ahead and be forward. Yep, I'm a Christian. On Sunday, I'm going to be at church. You want to come? 1030. Be delighted to have you there. We're going to sing praises to Jesus. He is the Lord of all. Have you made him the Lord of your life? I think we may need more of that boldness and distinction and distinguishing in our lives. Well, God has made it clear that he's saving his people, the, the Gentiles, he's including them into his church. He's made it clear that he's spreading his word. His hand of the Lord is with these preachers who are inviting people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And now in our third and final point, we see that God secures the unity of his church. We're starting to see kind of glimpses of that as the church in Jerusalem is checking in on this gospel work here, kind of excited to hear and willing to support Barnabas and Saul going there and laboring there for a year. They didn't recall Barnabas, did they? No, but God's going to use something else we're going to see here in verses 27 to 30 to further secure and establish and solidify the unity of Christ's church. Let me read verses 27 to 30 now. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over 
but over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, here we see that, that God sends a prophet and a famine and that God's people, these Gentiles in Antioch, this largely Gentile church, give to the church in Jerusalem. That's the, that's the big picture of what we have there. It's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that, that these days prophets came down from Jerusalem. So God had his prophets in the Old Testament and he has his prophets in the New Testament. And, and really, they, they're carrying out the same office and we know them by the, the same features. They are men who speak the word of God filled by the spirit of God. And they tell the truth of God. Uh, they, in the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, you can tell a prophet uh, whether or not what they say actually comes true. Right? So one of the distinguishing features of prophets in the Old Testament was that they foretold something, and if it didn't come true, they weren't prophets. And that they were to be rejected. But if it came true, they were prophets of God, and they were to be listened to. Well, what we're seeing with Agabus, that he's a true prophet of God, right and cut from the same cloth as those in the Old Testament. And he foretells a famine. He foretells a famine, and his words come true. If God's prophet foretold it, it's because God foreordained it. And it's just like God to use hardship to actually secure and solidify the unity of his church. That's what's happening here. This Agabus is preaching about this famine that's to come. This real historic event that Luke tells us. Do you see that, that there's this famine under the reign of, of Claudius? Uh, from, from non-Christian, unbelieving sources, we see that there was a famine all, all over the, the Greco-Roman world this time. There was particularly a famine in, um, in Judea in about 45, 46 AD. So Luke is a, he's a faithful historian. We're getting a real record of history here. And this took place. And so if God determined that there was to be a famine, that he foretold by his prophet, then we see here something interesting. God's people are also determined to give. See that God's people are determined to give, to relieve the burden that their brothers and sisters in Judea and Jerusalem are, are, are undergoing. And notice, notice how they determined to give. Verse 29, the disciples determined everyone, everyone, everyone was determined to give. But notice how, according to their ability, to his ability. So brothers and sisters, every one of us, every one of us should give. And every one of us should give according to our ability. Sometimes that will mean uh, giving financially. Sometimes that will mean giving of our time and of our talents. But all of us ought to give. And we ought to be determined to give to the work of God's gospel and caring for God's people. Um, it's, it's often been said, there's kind of a pastor's joke out there, that the last place to get sanctified is, is somebody's wallet. Um, but I think actually the last place to get sanctified tends to be our, our schedules and our priorities. So brothers and sisters, think about this text. Let it, let it press into your life. Maybe it is true that you need to give of your finances. Maybe you're not being faithful and determined in that way. Maybe you need to give of your finances. But maybe there's, there's some of your schedule you need to give to the Lord. Maybe there's some of your talents, your, your abilities to give to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. Uh, let me encourage you to be determined to give. And notice that they're caring for these other brothers and sisters in a place distant from them. I don't know if you know, but that's something that we as a congregation have done over the years. So uh, I guess it was about 10 or 11 years ago, a church in Florida, uh, their roof was taken off by a hurricane. And our church family gave to help support and renew 
uh, their church building and provide a roof that they were able to put on. Um, a couple of years ago, another church in, in, in Maryland was struggling financially through a variety of factors and elements. So we sent a, a large chunk of money to help encourage them and help them keep going. Um, a missionary in Asia, about I think it was um, uh, nine years ago or so, they had a house fire and they lost everything. So we gave resources to help support and encourage that, that brother and sister in the Lord who were, who were laboring there. There was a family just down Monroe Street who also had a house fire. So we tried to give to help support our community as well. I think you as a congregation, have been faithful to meet the needs of others. And I praise God for that. I think you, you characterize and epitomize this text here. And God is glorified in that. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to continue to be faithful and to be determined to give and to support the work and care for other brothers and sisters in the Lord. But the real thrust of this here, what's really going on in the midst of all of this, is that the Jewish church sent messengers and the Gentile church sent money. See, God is, is bringing His people together through these various circumstances. A, a challenge to this Jewish church to recognize Gentiles are being accepted in. And there's a challenge to the Jewish church that's having this, this famine in Judea is taking place. And these brothers and sisters in Antioch, largely Gentiles, they probably weren't exceedingly wealthy. They were probably giving rather sacrificially to help love and care for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Also, they, they had sent Barnabas to them who had been such an encouragement to their soul. Do you see how God is, is bringing His people together in the midst of hardship and difficulty? He's securing the unity that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's taking place. Generosity, it cultivates unity. The generosity of sharing Barnabas with that church and the generosity of sharing the, the resources that they had in the, in the burden of a family. God is establishing and securing the unity of His church. And this shows us, of course, God's in charge of it all. He, he's working in the midst of it all, isn't he? We began this morning by considering that fact, that God is in charge. And from Acts chapter 11, you saw that God was, he was in charge of bringing Peter from Joppa to the house of Cornelius, where Gentiles were welcomed into his kingdom, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived and died and was raised for the forgiveness of sins. God granted the Gentiles that repentance that leads to life through the gift of his Holy Spirit pouring out there. God was in charge at Antioch as the, the gospel spread to Greeks and went beyond the, the, the borders of just speaking to, to Jewish people, so speaking to Greeks as well. God was in charge as he, he brought Barnabas and Saul there to see his hand and his work further. God was in charge of the famine because he's sovereign over all world events and he uses them to bring about his purposes and to bring his people good and to secure his glory. Yes, God is in the midst of all of this. He's in charge. He, he delights to save His people. He delights to spread His word. He delights to secure the unity of His church. Brothers and sisters, in light of all of this, we have to glorify God in His power to save. Give yourself to making His name known as a Christian, to speaking the name of Christ. And give yourself to generously meeting the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ as the Lord calls you. This is how we recognize in our lives that God is indeed in charge and we give Him honor and glory. Let's pray that we can do that now together in prayer. Let's pray together.